not there. I'm going down to the Greyhound station Gonna get a ticket to ride Gonna find that lady with two or three kids And sit down by her side Ride till the sun comes up and down around me About two or three times Smoking cigarettes in the last seat Try to hide my sorrow from the people I meet And get along with it all Go down what people say, y'all Sing a song with a friend Change the shape of the man And get back in the game Start playing again Alright, like welcome to Beer in a Movie The podcast where we talk about the two greatest art forms known to humanity Beer and movies um, Sometimes we achieve outstanding pairings. Other times we have the opportunity to wash the miserable taste of failure from our mouths. Um, I'm Carlos Cooper, and with me as always... Dave Gurney. And I am Ethan Thompson. And we were just listening to a little bit of Clay Pigeons by Blaze Foley, um, which makes very obvious what we're going to be talking about for the rest of this episode. Uh, and that is <clears throat> the film Blaze, which is about... Blaze Foley himself and his life and his music, uh, directed by Ethan Hawke, starring Ben Dickey and Aaliyah Shawkat. Uh, but as always, before we get into the film, we've got to crack open a beer. And let's do that. So I'm going to get the festivity started here. I think Bra- Blaze would approve. I would All say right. so. What do we got? We have a beer from a Massachusetts-based brewery called... Lord Hobo Brewing, and the beer, I thought the title of this beer actually fit with the uh, theme of this episode pretty well. It's called Virtuoso. It is their... Mm, Okay, okay, good time. As they describe it, hazy double IPA, but uh, I think the idea that they have, uh, they've mastered the art of the hazy IPA, perhaps, and uh, Blaze and some of his brethren and uh, and folks depicted in the film, hopefully, uh, you know would be thought of as virtuosos of, of their craft, of, of singer-songwriter uh, yes. craft. Yes. Lord Hobo also seems appropriate somehow. It does, actually. <laughs> it does. No, you're right. You the like brewery's the, name. As, this is uh, a guy that liked to put duct tape on his clothes. And and um, as uh, Towns, or Towns Van Zandt's character in the film says, took a vow of poverty early on and was totally okay with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it would be very fitting. So before we fully get into the film quick basis of what it's about mm-hmm. uh blaze foley is a country musician singer songwriter um kind of in the um late 70s through the 80s uh outlaw country movement i guess is what um he would have been a part of He's sort of like outlaw adjacent outlaw outlaw adjacent yeah but it's folk it's more right. folk based than anything else um as far as country music goes and he um was someone that never made it, um, had his songs recorded by a couple of bigger names, but never got the recognition himself, and then was uh, murdered in 1989. He was shot um, trying to defend a friend of his uh, from their son, who was trying to steal money from them. 
And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really the bulk of what the film is about. Now, going into this, I remember, you know, hearing about it and it just so happened that I want to say it was late April, early May, John Prine had put out a tiny desk concert that I watched. And, um, I listened to some of his earlier stuff before and I didn't realize that I really liked him that much or cared for his music a whole lot. I I thought it was good, but I wasn't like super crazy. Like, Oh, I need to like listen to all of this. Then I saw that tiny desk concert and I went into like a month and a half long, just like binge (laughs) of like sad old country music. And so I went down that rabbit hole with John Prine and Towns Van Zandt and like, you know, obviously some other folks as well. Um, Steve Earle, uh, Justin Towns Earle, his son, and um, things like that. And then this movie comes out right as I was kind of getting out of that and kind of coming back to like <laughs> what I normally listen and to. It pulled you uh, back and in. It, yeah, it pulled me right back in because I hadn't heard of Blaze before. Right. And uh, and I saw the movie and it was like, I mean, just yeah. opened up this whole other thing. And and so I've been back on it. I mean, I've been listening to almost nothing but that kind of stuff since then. I, yeah. I, I take little breaks here and there to listen to some st- other stuff. But uh, So did you know that John Prine had recorded his song? I didn't know. No, I had no idea. At that point. Yeah. Um, and I was actually watching um, Ethan Hawke and Ben Dickey on uh, KEXP promoting the film, and they talk about that and how uh, we just heard the portion of the song that I'm about to talk about. And um, John Prine changed the lyric from... Uh, smoking cigarettes in the backseat, trying to hide my sorrows from the people I meet. And he changed it to uh, playing my songs for the people I meet. Mm. Um, and when Ethan Hawke and Ben Dickey were talking about that, you know, on, KX, on KEXP, they, and I agree with this, but Ethan Hawke said that he felt like that kind of did a, somewhat a disservice to the song. Hmm. And that one line changes a lot of what the rest of it is about. Um, yeah. And I, I, I would agree with that because it is a really sad song. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, most of his stuff is pretty like, you know, heartbreaking and kind of crushing to us. I mean, he has a lighter side as well, but right. Kind of a fun side, but the, yeah. but the film doesn't, well, it, it gets into it a little bit. It does more so in the characters interactions, not necessarily with the music. Yeah. The, the, the songs that get featured, I think are some of his sadder songs. Yeah. So uh, um, should we talk some about how the film's structured and what it's like as a film? I would because love to I talk think, about that. It's my favorite yeah. part of it. Uh, yeah, because you know, I think the biopic is one of the worst genres known to man. And it's a, every, typically it falls can, a pretty can standard be done format, poorly. Right? Can be done poorly. That, that, that there's going to be struggles yeah. and they don't think they're going to make it and then they make it, but then they struggle again and then they die. Yeah, or right. And in some ways it kind of follows that, but, uh, but it's... Without it's the one, making a part. Right, without the... Although you just never get a sense that he's you know i think this is important and part of his his uh whole persona or appeal is that he wasn't really trying like yeah. you say he took a vault vow of poverty and was happy to stay there yeah. you know yeah, so there's a not fucking a tree house for you know, yeah. a while it, it, he's a tragic figure i think in the sense that you just wish there was more of his music yeah. not that he would have been a big star <laughs> right yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so the the film is based mostly on uh, a biography written by uh, the love of his life, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. His wife, her, her ex-wife, I guess, when he died. So. Yeah. Apparently, they were never officially married, uh, but most, but effectively, she was his wife for a okay. years. Her name was. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, according to one of the things that I've read, anyway, uh, Sybil Rosen, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so the film uh, really kind of uh, well, it's it's structured through their relationship. 
right? Yeah. And they them first meeting at this kind of artist and actors creative commune in the in the seventies. Right. Yeah. In the earlier mids. But I think what's more interesting about the structure of it than that is I feel like the last day of his life guides most of the narrative. So um the last day of his life, he recorded a live album at the outhouse in Austin. Mm -hmm. And when I was watching it, I kind of got the sense that he would introduce a song and kind of talk about it a little bit. And then that would launch us into like, maybe like a flashback or maybe it would take Mm -hmm. us to the town's radio interview. And so it was, it was different from a lot of biopics in that, his music really did push the story forward, you know, and how mm. personal his songs were and like what they were about and that they were about real things that happened to him. And, um, I, I, yeah. I, th- I, I thought that was great. I really liked that, you know, hearing him introduce a song and then seeing it happen. You know? Yeah. They, they, uh, Ethan Hawke and the people that he worked with, um, clearly had to like fill in some, gaps and make more of a story out of this and then was there or the source material just being from the the biography and one of the ways that they structure that is you follow basically chronologically the the love their relationship but then like you said another structuring mechanism is him recording this live album for the purposes of the film they say it's also the day that he ended up getting shot although i don't believe that's true right Um, i I think that it is I, I don't I well I I don't know we should look into it because it Listeners, seems like extremely <laughs> tweet at us De- clearly or, he took a lot of uh of liberties and I would be I mean that seems like too crazy but maybe so but besides that there's also as you said this radio interview that uh, is being done by uh, uh, Towns Van Zant who's played by Charlie Sexton um who I thought was very terrific. well by the way yeah. And well, uh, as well as I guess he was his, uh, the the bass player, right? Not Charlie Sexton, but um, um, excuse me, what's his name? I just I I have to say, I I just found an Austin Chronicle article from last year that says that the Austin Outhouse recording was actually made in the final month of his life, but not right. the day. The so exactly. so it was, it was it was close in yeah, proximity, yeah. but not the day of, which the film kind of like you say play ha- takes a little liberty with. I'm going to give it a, a good solid pass on that one. Cause I think yeah. dramatically it works. I mean, I don't, it think, does work I don't think it was necessary. I don't, yeah. I thought it was kind of like, well, it doesn't have to be that, you know, the fact that it was the last month of his life is good enough for me, but, but whatever. Right. So you've got that. Um, and as I said, the radio interview with Towns Van Zant and his, the other, the other second, or I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the guy's name. I'll have to Z. look it up. Z. Yeah, he uh, yeah. plays Who, harmonica not with a real. That, that's that's was that an from what I understand a people? composite okay. character of somebody who was in their circle who would have maybe played in yeah. you know whatever alongside. But them, they yeah. clearly lean a lot on Towns Van Zant as a very colorful, articulate, yeah, another drunk poet character right. to kind of though I do add think some to the story. Sort of and interesting. They were truly friends as well. Yeah, and sort of interesting that they pull from, I, I believe that interview is supposed to be set in one of his rare dry phases. Like really, He had really? like about a year in the early 90s, so post Blaze's death. just Towns. after, because Yeah, because yeah. they even mention an album. I can't remember what it is, but he's supposedly promoting an album. Okay. That's why he's... Uh, okay. I can tell you which one it is because I found it earlier. There you today. go. And, and I think the timing, it works out pretty well to be that that would have been one of his 
rare dry yeah. spells where okay. he, where he was actually sobered up and and uh, having a having a good run, but because he's really he doesn't come off as drunk and kind of meandering there. He's very sharp and you know to the point and and has the witty um, comeback, which wasn't always the case from what I understand. Yeah, but in in but in ironically enough though, in in the film in that scene, the other guy just kind of gets put. You get the sense that he's put off with Towns Van Zant as somehow enabling, yeah, uh, Blaze right. Foley's destructive behavior, and of course Towns Van Zant, like you said, if he was sober, then he didn't last very long. No, um, no. and there is this, you know, kind of sad element of it. I would say that one of my favorite parts about the film—I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite—I was, I'll say, I was pleased that this film, which is about this music scene and these, these um, talented people who are also drunks, you know, doesn't. It did a good job of not over romanticizing that lifestyle. Yeah, um, which, I would agree with that. You know, like it, it could have done that. Thank goodness it didn't do that. I I think it, like you say, I think it walked a very fine line there. Yeah, in a way that um, I, it impressed me because you you could have very easily over romanticized things turned it into a story of a tragic artist who never found his right audience, but was really a poet and needed the and. And, you know, there were elements of that. I mean, clearly, but it wasn't so much in the the staging of it or the the kind of uh, the dramatization of it. It came more through the music. I mean, I think what Carlos was saying earlier about how the songs really kind of propel the film and really serve as these important, um, you know, moments throughout the film. And the songs almost always play full through, right? I mean, like, you don't yeah, get just like yeah. a snippet of a song. You get them sitting down, playing the song front to back. And you get the story of the song, you get you get the turns of phrase in the song. And to me, those are okay, those speak for themselves. These are some pretty incredible songs that the guy wrote, you know, and I think anybody who likes country music of a slightly grittier nature, something maybe more akin to folk, what a lot of people might classify as singer songwriter, um, this stuff is going to appear like magically genius kind of, you know, composition wise. I mean, these yeah. are just really well done songs, but the, the, the scenes surrounding them don't glorify him. You know what I mean? Like the songs glorify him, not, not the scenes, right. not the way that they're go. kind of dramatizing yeah. thing. And if anything gets romanticized, it's that relationship he has with Sybil but I didn't find that to be cloying or over the top and it, and it falls apart and it, but it doesn't, I, and that, that was one of the more interesting things that I don't know that I've ever seen or that, that I can even think of a film that shows the disintegration of a relationship in a, in a more sort of natural and not tragic way. You know what I mean? Like, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and like she kind of, and, and, and it seems like maybe that's, evident in the in the biography she wrote and i'll have to read it at some point i mean i i like the film so much i i really should um but i it it seemed like one of those rare instances where she just understood yeah like our relationship has run its course to a certain extent and he needs to go off and do this stuff and i want to focus on some other stuff i don't know it was really and interesting. i'm going out and i'm working every night and i come home and he's drunk <laughs> it's well, written all just, over the wall there's some of yeah. that but, th- but there you go it could have just turned into one of those like where she comes in and is like blaze you're ruining your life and it, you know, God damn it, yeah, blaze. Yeah. And it doesn't turn that. into that and right. it not at all yeah yeah it's interesting because 
I mean, the whimper thing really is what happens. You know, it's like when they separate, they're both equally as torn up about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that comes from uh, something that Towns Van Zandt said in an interview at some point. Um, Ethan Hawke talks about it in the, uh, I think it's in the KEXP interview or it could be in another interview he did for the film. But uh, Towns at some point says that if you're like tr- really about contributing to the culture and to like, putting good songs in the world that are going to like stand the test of time. You have to like live it, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to be fully in what you're saying. And, um, I know Ethan Hawke says he like wholly rejects that and like, you know, thinks that's kind of dangerous and, you know, but gets, and it's kind of like beautiful how he thinks that and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But it seems like that's what was happening with blaze. At least the way it's depicted in the film is that he's living this kind of like tragic lifestyle and he can't seem to find a way out of it. And they never really explicitly say it, but it seems like he feels like he has to be doing that in order to be like creative. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I see that more in towns than I do the character of blaze. Like in that they had this definitely friendship. more in towns. Yeah. Sure. I mean, because but. I don't know that that was one of the other notable things about the film for me is that it, it very easily could have felt like a, Again, tragic tale of a guy who succumbs to addictions and stuff. But that's not really the story of Blaze from what I understand either. It's, you know, yes, did he drink? Yeah. Did he do drugs? Yeah. Were those his demise? No. His demise was being a little bit too open-hearted and too kind and ultimately him defending this friend of his, it sounds like. I mean, now, I did read a little bit about that and, you know, I guess there are various interpretations of it the man who he was supposedly defending was too drunk to be a reliable witness. So, so the guy uh, was acquitted. I did. I knew that before I saw the film, I had read about that before the film. And when I was watching it, I was like, "Mm, they are kind of over, overdoing the son character that kills blaze. I felt like they were, they made him out to be like a, black and white just plain bad guy well they you know? did maybe but then but then they also uh made it very ambiguous what happened exactly like almost as if they didn't want to get sued so you don't he's walking around the house and right you and you don't shot, see it but you don't see because the the story is that the guy was defending himself which totally could have been i mean yeah he was a drug addict and a problem mm-hmm. but in that moment it's true he could have been defending himself from blaze blaze had taken an axe handle after him supposedly yeah, yeah. you know anyway so not I a gr- small man either Blaise. no very no. imposing man anyway the but the film you know it clearly there is this confront confrontation but it it you don't get to see it in a way yeah. you see the aftermath right. of it for sure but it but in the lead up you know you get a couple of those yeah. scenes with yeah. the son going and shaking his dad down yeah for his, in uh, the lead up it makes the son look like a objectively bad dude like there's right. no gray area well about and that it, doesn't but... seem up for grabs i mean if he was like regardless of in the moment he was yeah. uh, defending yeah. himself, if he was there to take the guy's right. check Disability every check morning, but, every month, so he could buy heroin or But whatever. I guess there, you know, it's like, so it's interesting, you know, like Towns, and, and we don't see him expire in this film, you know, we the, the latest moment we get in this film is him doing this radio interview. Not as exciting of a... No, death scene but but that's either. but truly tragic. <laughs> truly right? tragic, I mean, like, for sure. Completely about his addictions getting way out of control after seeing this film i read about yeah you you told me i went and read it myself and it's like i mean it's heartbreaking i mean the the 
position he put himself in and the ways and it really was it was about him killing himself in in essence like killing his body blaze it it was really i don't know like his death uh you know again as it functions in the film even as it functions as i understand in popular understanding of it it really it serves as a kind of emblem of what a kind and open person he like he was looking out for other people he wanted to help other people he was genuinely interested in people which kind of comes back to the point that ethan was making earlier about it's interesting to see a story a biopic about somebody who really never made it like Mm -hmm. you can't tell the typical story of somebody struggling to get to the top getting to the top then having issues and then getting back you know and screwing it up right you can't because he never got to the top he never even had a legitimate i mean he released a couple things while he was alive but they were compromised they weren't really he released what like two singles and an lp whose master tapes ended up getting like seized by the dea (laughs) right right and then that's it so so you know i mean the live record didn't even come out until 99 10 years after but he he died but at least you know what i've read about him how he's depicted in the film he's not put off by that it's not like yeah, he didn't seem to care that angry much. or somehow like you know because i've met hey believe me i i know plenty of musicians in my life and i've met people who by the time they hit their 30s and they haven't had a real breakthrough or they haven't found a regular gig or been able to make it their career in a, in a real way that gives them enough money get bitter get angry get disappointed he never seemed to do that it wasn't like which tells me he was never somebody who was really seeking fame or fortune, he just wanted to connect with people and and have and you know make these songs that would make some people happy. And he seemed as happy. Again, I'm I'm talking more about the film here than I am Blaze the Man. I don't know, you know, I can't speak to that. But he seemed just as happy being able to play a song for three people in the room if a couple people were to look up at him and kind of enjoy it and talk to him after, as he would have maybe if he had played in front of well we do see a couple scenes in the film where he's playing in front of hundreds of people and and that doesn't seem to yeah that doesn't seem to spark anything in him so we should talk about the performances in the film a little more than just about blaze's life in general um ben dickey plays blaze foley um an untested acting talent untested he never acted before um I was wa- I was actually watching an interview the Hollywood Reporter did at Sundance with mm-hmm. the cast, and uh, when they asked Ben Dickey, like, what did you think the biggest challenge doing this film was going to be? And he went, huh, acting. <laughs> 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 and, which, I mean, you know, he had never acted before, no. but so the way that that ended up happening, um, Ethan Hawke talks about it in several interviews that he did for the film, um, that he, so Ethan Hawke knew Ben Dickey, because uh, Ethan Hawke's now wife, I believe, um, was friends with uh, Ben Dickey's girlfriend at the okay. time. I think wife now, if I'm not mistaken. I could uh-huh. be wrong about that. But there was like a, that was kind of the way that they initially connected in that. Ethan Hawke says that's about 15 years ago or so. Um, and he recalls hearing Ben Dickey play, not knowing who he is at all. Like have never seen him before. And it's like, oh man, this guy's great. Like, you know. This guy could play Blaze Foley in a movie, or he like sounds like this guy, or he sounds like you know. An he outlaw, thought that going back, an that outlaw far. country singer. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Maybe maybe he didn't name Blaze Foley specifically, but right, he but thinks he, that he this could, guy could be in a movie playing a, a character yeah. like this. I, I heard um, an interview with Hawk. I think it was on NPR. 
where he was saying that, you know, I'm, I've acted for whatever. Yeah. And like, he was a kid actor, right? I mean, he's been acting for 35, 40 years now. Yeah. And like, I know acting and I knew when I saw him that, you know, he had it in him to, to act. And I I guess it's obvious to everyone, but I'll just say it to be, to overstate the obvious, but he does all the singing. Yeah. No, you're not hearing. Well, no, that's a good point. No, it is. It is. Um, and not just that, but the soundtrack for the film that light in the attic put out shouts out to light in the attic. Um, (laughs) those are the homies. They they are, they are pretty dope. I love light in the attic as a label and as a distributor, they always have my back. Um, but, it's all Ben Dickey. The whole soundtrack. It's yeah. like twelve tracks of just Ben Dickey doing. And Charlie Sexton. Songs. Yeah, and, and I mean, like whoever yeah, is yeah. on screen playing these characters are also yeah. playing. I mean, the he's music, on every. Song. I mean, he's on every song. Yeah. doing the doing yeah, the, the yeah. tracks, and, and I mean, that's that's one thing that you know Ben Dickey talks about going into the movie is like, well, I, you know, you know, I knew I had the music part down. I, you know, I've been playing music for you know. Right. I just wanted to get the acting, and I mean. In some of the interviews that he's done about it, he talks about, you know, talking to Sybil Rosen personally about how to get the voice down and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And Sybil saying, like, don't worry about doing an impression. Just, you know, you got to get the. You yeah. Know, yeah. Her really helping him get into the role and all that kind of thing. Um, but I mean, it is really I mean, one of the biggest things about music movies that always if something's going to go wrong in a music film, whether it's a biopic or something else, it's the music. Yeah. Music made for film or recorded for a specific film doesn't always work very well. Right. But it works perfectly in this one. Well, and the amazing thing is that not only is he a singer, but, um, you know, I want people not to get the wrong impression. This guy was an alcoholic, but he's not like a depressing character to watch. Really. Plays fully. Well, no. as, plays fully right. as Ben Dickey plays him is yeah, very he's funny. He's yeah. constantly the rhyming. Stories. He has a very lyrical way of talking. He's telling stories. He's telling jokes. He's rhyming. Yeah. He's he's singing much of the time. The yeah. stories apparently. It, I mean, it's funny, but it's also just. I don't. I. It, it's a really pleasant, enjoyable performance. It's really fun to watch. It's endearing. Is the yeah, word that I was is. looking for. It's really endearing. Um, and then on the other hand, there's there's uh, there's also some great cameos throughout of people well, that you're not quite uh, expecting. Before we, before we get there, I just want to give Ben Dickey some credit for some of I the, think you've been talking about for, him over and over for <laughs> quite a long time. It Do we have to dwell on him anymore? It hasn't been that long. It feels like it's been a long time. Let him get his final Ben okay. Dickey point in. Come but on. This, I, a lot I, of I, the, I guess Ben Dickey, this is probably his big shot. <laughs> I, well, of, hey. I think it's both Blazes and Ben Dickey's yeah, big shots. I hate, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Most of those funny stories that he tells, those are Ben Dickey stories, not Blaze Holy okay, stories. Okay, that was he worth brought, it. Oh, nice. He brought those to set. Like, to the, Ethan yeah. would hear him telling stories like that to people. He's and, like, and, and he was that. like, oh, you should do stuff like that. You know? Yeah, he, yeah. You know, kind of gave him some free reign to do it. And so that, that's cool. That's kind of how those yeah. those parts came. That was it totally felt very it, natural. Carlos, felt you gave me I'm all this shit, but here we are. <laughs> Paid off, man. Paid off. You can't I, don't just, so, I don't just talk to hear my own voice. So definitely, I mean, <laughs> I hate I, the sound of my voice. To that, we've already mentioned it um, a little bit. Charlie Sexton also does an incredible job. Pitch with perfect, Van in Zandt, my opinion. And again, pulls off those songs. But to Ethan's point, some other sort of more uh, quickly, uh, you know, appearing and then disappearing kind of cameos. Yeah. So there. there's so uh, these this mysterious group of oil wildcatters, <laughs> Zephyr uh, Records. Uh, yeah, Zephyr Records. These guys uh, appear out of nowhere and uh, want to give Blaze a record deal. Yeah. And it, it's 
one of the laugh out loud moments in the film that right. just because all these these guys these are recognizable that show up um, right especially to indie film fans indie I mean, film fans yeah if, if you're a fan of ethan hawk's work <laughs> you know richard linklater yeah so rick linklater uh, of course director rick, Ling- rick linklater but also Sam Rockwell, yes, who sports a mean bolo tie. Or they might all have bolo ties. On I, think I think they, they do. do. Yeah, bolo, uh, and and Steve Zahn. Yes, and man, they're just it's so of Sahara to see those guys. <laughs> we, we need to How do many a, episodes have we mentioned Sahara? We mentioned Sahara. Can we go ahead. Can we go ahead and say we, let's just let's do Sahara next. Let's do a Sahara. We, we definitely to. need. I, okay, yeah. I bring it up too much. <laughs> uh, so Steve Zahn, Sam Rockwell, and they really are kind of a comic relief. Yes, you know. Yes. But well, in a in a buffoonish like clownish, cartoonish way, cartoonish like Texan Blaise, way. Blaze is funny and kind of, the Blaze character and kind of a you know folksy kind of these stories yeah. he's telling and everything and his rhyming way of speaking. But um, but these guys they, they just come out pure like Texas caricature. I mean, it's like guys with their big hats and their yeah. Hey, we're gonna make you a record star and yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. Sam Rockwell. Uh, uh, Sam Rockwell's great. I, I love that guy. Almost everything. He, just to see him as totally just this doofus with the cowboy hat and bolo tie. He's great. On the other hand, though. Well, before that, to the point of Zephyr Records, I don't know how true what, every, what all was you know, yeah. uh, depicted in the film. But what I do know is that Blaze Foley's If I Could Only Fly 45 is the only thing they ever put out. So really? it, it very well could be as accurate. Now, as how much it, would that pull on Discogs? On Discogs, 125. But the last time it was sold was November 2016. Wow! So not so too many of them. Not a lot of them floating so, around. So, so you can expect uh, if, if Carlos lands one of those in hybrid, uh, you're, you're going to see that go yeah. out on social media. Yeah, you're going to yeah. pay a pretty penny. Okay. <laughs> so the other the performance on a whole different note um, is. Uh, by, I feel like I'm doing a spoiler, but the, our program has been full of spoilers. So uh, people Chris, should know at this. One point. of my favorite moments in the film is when uh, uh, Blaze's sister uh, gets him to go. He he goes to visit his family, mm-hmm. and his sister takes him to go see their father, who lives in. Um, well, I guess you call it like a state home. You're kidding basically. me. That's who he is. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, and it's Chris Christopherson. Right. I had no idea. Oh wow! And he's he just sits on a bed, and I swear I like I got chills watching it because yeah. I was just thinking like, well, is Chris Christopherson? Is he like is he that old now that he's kind of got Alzheimer's? Is this right. the real thing? Well, because he 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 has this blank look, and it's he's just good. chilling. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Yeah, he, you know, it's interesting because they don't really dwell on it in the film. Like, the film is not, we've already established, it's not a it's traditional not biopic. Right. It's not giving you paint-by-numbers, but it's impressionistic. It's, yeah. it's sort of the way memory works. And so, and so you get that scene. They don't really mention that, well, he and his family were actually like a gospel group when he was younger. And Just so like, very quickly. Yeah, right. I mean, they don't belabor it. It's just right. kind of like... And but then the uh, conclusion, right? Blay he he kind of gives them, uh, you know, you can tell like he has this like reaction to their singing and how he's you know uh, feels about that. So I don't know. It's it, it was a really powerful scene. And yes, I think those if you recognize Chris Chris <laughs> Christopher <laughs> I Robinson, do that. Chris Christopherson, the Chris Robinson Brotherhood. Yes, uh, if you recognize him, I think that's. 
you know, going to be an, a nice little extra bonus treat. Chris but even even for you, yeah, Chris Christopherson, <laughs> even for you, Carlos, who did not, I'm sure you enjoyed the scene. No, I thought he was, I thought yeah. that actor was great. I mean, I, yeah. I and, he, and he's and, acting. And just, and just a whole to, other context to it now, but I mean, I didn't know. I just want to put everyone at ease, but I did a quick search and there was an article a couple of days ago in the Lehigh Valley Music Morning Call that Chris Christopherson will be performing at the Sam's Bethlehem Ham Event Center in April, so apparently he's doing well. That underscores. I feel like I need to make an effort to go see him. Yeah, Christopherson, he's one of those guys that's a forerunner to yeah. to the uh, outlaw country guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we should say, you know, you know what we'll do is when that Star Is Born comes out, we'll oh, have a Star Is wow. Born. We'll talk about all three versions of Star Is Born. Wow. There's three versions. Yes, the one from the '70s stars Chris Christopherson. I know. And I know that one. Yeah, What's Judy Garland. Judy Garland. Oh, that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know about the one before that. I mean, yeah. I've had the Christopherson and Streisand soundtrack. soundtrack. As a matter yeah. of fact, let's do the whole Chris but... Christopherson episode. <laughs> that guy, he's one of the. He is a like him and Donald Sutherland. The the the, the stars of the '70s were an interesting bunch. Yeah. 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 So. To cap off the kind of conversation about the performances, Aaliyah Shawkat of Arrested yes, Development Sybil, fame yeah. um, plays maybe in Arrested Development as a very you know younger person. Uh, more recently, and I think we talked about this a little bit, um, I loved her in Search Party, the yeah, TBS really, show yeah. um, that was created by Michael Showalter. Um, oh yeah, really? Wet Hot American Summer. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's fantastic in that, and she is great in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I. You know, for a while when I first started seeing her pop up and stuff again, I was like, "Oh, that's maybe from." You know, <laughs> I was glad just she's got her career is back up again. Well, yeah, and I mean, and I mean, I think she's broken out of that. Yeah, yeah sure, sure, I agree very well at this point. Well, I mean, with she's this film, fantastic. for me, certainly, that's. I mean, I I didn't see Search Party, and I it's prob- very good. And, everyone, Search yeah. Party, TBS. Um, but but definitely seeing her in this role, I. I think um, a little bit worried going into it, like, oh, is is she going to work? Is this? But no, no problem. Excellent. From, from the first scene, yeah. I had no issue. From then on, she she won me over. Yeah, the first scene is, man, it's uh, for me. It, it it was tough. I just I felt like so nervous for her. Yeah. Reciting these lines in front of somebody because yeah. I was just thinking if I was in that position. And I was trying to rehearse for something, and there was just somebody kind of just hanging around. And, right, right. Um, it would have, man, it would have made me. And yeah. I, so I just like felt that yeah. nervousness. Well, that's for the character, and and that's again a mark of a great film. It pulls yeah. you in that way. So I mean, I think what what you have here from us is a resounding go see this thing at all costs. Yeah, everyone uh, needs to, and and just just to just to make it super known that you need to see it. I in my entire life have never liked country music. I've always thought it was so ridiculous and stupid. The pickup trucks and the tractors and the dirt roads and the Daisy Dukes and the, you know, all that (laughs) That Daisy Dukes nonsense. I mean, that's the tag team. uh, I I mean, I've, I've, there, I think it came it. into '90s country or 2000s. It country. did, it did, it did. But I think you're right. It was tag team. Had it before. No, come on, baby. You know, it it, it, it becomes a things in the aughts and then <laughs> okay. into this decade as well. Yeah. And every just like any country I've ever heard in my life, I've been like, this is garbage. Why does anybody listen to this crap? Every country show that sells out at Brewster's or whatever, I'm just like, why mm-hmm. is this happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but that John Prine Tiny Desk and this mm-hmm. movie 
really reaffirmed the fact, and and this is something one of my customers, Roland, shouts out Roland, um, <laughs> has told me a number of times, and I na- now I fully 100% believe it, that there's no such thing as like different like genres of music necessarily. I mean, there is, but really what there is is there's good music and there's bad music. Mm-hmm. And you may think you don't like country, you just haven't heard the right country music. Yeah. And that's what it was like for me. I just never heard Towns or right. Steve Earle or, you know, Blaze Foley. And, well, uh, and, and, and I had no idea that I... And it, that I liked this music yeah. as much as I did. Um, yeah. So, and I saw th- this movie solely because I am a fan of that kind of country music. You I, are. I would, you would not get me to see a movie directed by Ethan Hawke. Um, <laughs> I'm not a huge for, Ethan Hawke fan. I, either. I, I'm not at all. Uh, I like him. I, that's not true. I really liked the before sunrise and sunset, uh, the, that whole trilogy. I like a whole it. lot. Uh, yeah. I like it a lot, but I don't know. Actor vanity projects is not my thing, which is what I thought this was. But it was terrific, and I yeah. think that um, I, mean, I really enjoyed it as a film. Yeah. Uh, even though at first I was like, "Oh, this is kind of like cheesy indie film. It's a little too impressionistic." But man, it got me just on the strength of the performances yeah. and the great the music. It's the music. Like I said, the music makes the case well, for the why you care about this guy, and then the fact that he is so charming, Ben Dickey, yes. and the character and all that yeah. just hits it home I well mean, we're still like, talking about you know, Ben Dickey uh, okay ben okay Dickey okay now, well, now, uh, you know and we kind of <laughs> we kind of missed a good chance to segue so I'm going to bring us back to okay. it thinking about country music in a more broad sense or or uh, thinking about that will actually lead us into our next film I think pretty nicely but before Very we nice. go there let's just talk for a moment virtuoso before we get to the beer we need to mention <laughs> <laughs> sorry but we do need to mention the name of Sybil Rosen's book yeah, and it's oh, okay. called "Living in the Woods in a Tree, Remembering Blaze Foley," which is a great title by Sybil Rosen. <laughs> yes. uh, it says Sybil Rosen. Two thousand eight. It was when it was published. Is what yeah. Google is telling me. Um, but Blaze has a song um, of a similar title, if yeah. not the exact same title. Yeah, I think um, it is. Yeah, I think it's yeah. the same title. Um, but yeah, so and you I'm, can, I'm going to read it. And you can thank uh, Austin, Texas legend, Lewis Black, for introducing uh, Ethan Hawke to that book. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sort of okay. launching yes. this project. So, But the uh, beer. So back to the beer. Virtuoso, Lord Hobo. We've already talked about the tie-ins with the name and the name of the brewery, the name of the beer. Uh, f- from what what you've been sipping on, what, what do you think? It's very tasty. Yeah. I mean... If you've been listening to the last couple episodes, you know I'm very partial to a New England IPA. I hate yeah. IPA as yeah. it were. And uh, yeah, I thought this was very good. Um, the name fits. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think these guys uh, do do a really good job. I mean, it is a double. Where, I'm starting to they, feel it. Uh, eight, Massachusetts. Eight point eight percent. Yeah. And eight point eight. That's their, a full ass beer. Their flagship is called Boom Sauce. And I, I was to be to be er, to be honest, I was turned off by it initially. I didn't the love name or the taste. The name, the okay. name. I mean, once I tasted it, I thought it was fine. But I was actually at a beer festival uh. Uh, in Maine when I when I was up there one summer that uh, I, I tried their stuff for the first time a couple of years ago, and but something just rubbed me wrong about calling their their beer boom sauce boom goes the dynamite that would be even better <laughs> uh, yeah that would be that would be fun that would be but boom sauce i don't know it's, it's i think it was because like there was a band called boom slang like cobra was juice in, wasn't that like some like 
really cheap bad. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Parks and Rec Any, had snake juice. Snake anyway, juice. There you go. I've, snake juice. I've given them a pass on that. And since I've had a, a few of their other beers and this one I picked up uh, while I was up north just a few uh, days ago. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think everything I've had, tasty, juicy, a lot of citrus. Um, yeah. Anyway, nice, nice pillowy mouthfeel. So yes, mouth- that'll take <laughs> us into our next film is a, uh, it's going to maintain the outlaw country theme right. and we will get mo- more into the specifics of that here in a minute. Back up all your dishes Make note of all good wishes Say goodbye to the landlord for me Some bitches always bore me Throw out in L.A. papers And I mold a box of vanilla wafers Adios to all this concrete Give me some dirt road back streets. I can just get off of this LA freeway without getting killed to come. I'll be down the road in a cloud of smoke to some land. I ain't bop, 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 and it's heavy, most intense. Only what I think I. So we're back and we're talking about if the uh, Guy Clark L.A. Freeway hasn't tipped you off. Um, we're talking about Heartworn Highways, the uh, seminal 1976 uh, documentary about the outlaw country movement. Um, at least that's what the well, s- film, synopsis... Filmed in 75 and 76, but not released until 81. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of slippery. It's interesting. Like, retroactively, it's outlaw country, but in the movie and its promotional materials, they say, the new country music. And it includes, I don't know, some like Char- Charlie Daniels band and some other stuff that maybe retroactively we wouldn't group together with Guy Clark, you know? Right. But it's, it, it is kind of a... Uh, uh, anyway, a, a picture in time of, of country music that's on the fringes, I guess, uh, to some extent at least, in, in the mid-70s. Right. And I have right. to say that, man, Guy Clark's voice, that was amazing to hear that just then. Um, and did you it's guys such re- a great song. I, I didn't know until I was reading up a little bit for this, like, it, just up the road from here, Rockport, yes. Texas. That's where yeah. the guy was, yeah. I didn't he, know that. That's where Guy Clark's from? He, well, he, well, he was born, I think, in... Monahans, Texas, and moved to Rockport in, when he was like 13 years old. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, and then 
graduated high school in 1960, so that's pretty right. cool. So spent some formative years just yeah. up the road here in the Coastal Bend. That's so, right. He also has a great a great uh, song, The South Coast of Texas. Oh, um, yeah. yeah it's in, so as, as always, before we get into the film, yeah. we got to crack open a beer. We sure do. Um, so... We just had the New England IPA, a mm-hmm. uh, bit lighter in color um, from some other ones. So I thought that uh, this is more referencing Blaze than Hardware and Highways, but um, he did have a very light side and also a very dark side. Sure. So I thought after having a lighter beer, we would uh, uh, have something the a little other side darker. Of the coin here. Um, okay. You know, uh, so that's kind of what I was going for. But this is um, a from the annual barrel series from Avery Brewing Company, um, a stout aged in bourbon barrels. Very nice. It is. Um, clock's in at 15.9%. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Lord. Um, and and what, what is the name of this one? I, I can't read the font. Oh. Um, <laughs> it, it's Uncle something. Oh. Uncle oh. Jacobs? Uncle Jacobs, yeah. Is that what it says? Uncle, Uncle Jacobs? Jacobs? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're, Uncle, you got it. Yeah. Uncle Jacobs Stout. It, it, yeah. It, it I, looks I a little had dicey. this uh, a couple years back. I, I remember liking it very much, but I, I'll keep an open mind here. I may hate it this time. Avery is a brewery that I is distributed here pretty, yeah, they, pretty well. Yeah. And, but every time I see it, I'm like, man, that's expensive. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, they, it's not cheap. So I, I tend to stay away from it just because of that. They, but, they have yeah. some good stuff that you can get, um, you know, kind of regular shelf beers, so to speak. The, uh, oh gosh, White Rascal, that's theirs, right? That's a Belgian mm-hmm. white. Yeah. Um, they have the, uh, um, Oh, Lilikoi Capolo. I don't, I'm probably this is butchering really it. Nice, by the way. But that that is one that has. Uh, oh my gosh, it has it has some fruit incorporated into it, and it is really tasty. I've had that a number of times over the years. But um, but this, you know, th- these these single bottle things, you know, they sell twelve ounce bottles for the price of what you would think most bombers might go for. I know what you mean, Carlos. It, it it is. There's some sticker shock. So, I mean, so here's to you for uh, shelling out for. Uh, I mean, the bombers <laughs> are like fifteen. Yeah. Like you know. Ooh. Oh yeah. It smells that, great. That smells great. Yeah. So yeah, no, a nice leathery, tobacco-y. Wow. Kind of chocolate uh, aroma there kind of puts me right in the mood for thinking about this kind of well-worn kind of country music coming out of, uh, well, well a, a few different and, places, and Austin and Tennessee back yeah. in the 70s. Yeah, so this is, a, a, I guess, what we, it's not really a concert film, but it feels like a concert film. It it's does. a documentary, and I have to say that initially I was disappointed with the film because I was really hoping to have more... Uh, <laughs> Talking. I'd lo- I wanted to hear from people more. Okay. I wanted to hear from the various artists more. I'm glad that but you I said ultimately, that. Ultimately, I, I just want to say this. So ultimately, I came to really appreciate the way that it kind of throws you into the making of music in various different phases. So when was the first time you watched this movie? This was, this, this it was, was the first time I saw okay. it was for this podcast. Okay, so same. I had heard about it, and I really thought I was going to learn a lot about yeah that yeah. era of yeah. country music yeah. and i didn't at no. all no um it's a i mean the most talking you get is from towns uh I telling think, jokes right yeah, at his house cutting up right uh, not even and, telling jokes I mean, cutting up yeah and i mean you get a little bit of david allen co for whatever god you get more reason. david out Al- little um, david allen co goes a long way a long way <laughs> um but yeah i mean i really thought that it was going to be 
more informative the way that yeah. Yeah. at least my understanding of documentary as a format tends well, to be. But it wasn't, and I, I, you know, the first time I thought I was kind of you you're know, disappointed. I was a little disappointed, yeah. but then the more that I thought about it, the more I, you know, just just like you said, began to appreciate it, and it's kind of. It's kind of interesting just seeing, especially once you get to the end and they're all just hanging out yeah. and playing songs. It's definitely and, in the in the observational vein yes. of documentaries. Yes. It puts you in a place. There's not any voiceover narration right. of any kind. There's right. very little like information. If this any, inter- direct cinema. They don't even tell you the names of. At the very beginning of the film, it lists out the names of the different performers. But right. then when they show up, I don't. You don't get on screen. Yeah, title, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so you really are as a historical document. I enjoyed it, um, but I wanted to know. I because I do want to know more about these people. I was hoping that there'd be a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Towns Van Zandt is really he's the poster child. Yeah. For the film. Yeah. And also this is that's what I knew of the film. And I had been told that it's interesting to see how Steve Earle and these other guys just like fall all over Towns Van Zant and just I had no idolize idea who him. Steve but you don't Earl really was. see that. You well, don't yeah, see that I, in the film. He's young. I, I couldn't mean, tell who he young. was. Yeah. He's a very young I mean, what, guy with shaggy he, is hair. Is he even twenty in that film? I mean, he's he's young. Yeah. He's, I mean, he, he hasn't put anything out at that point. Right. 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 Yeah. No, he's he's a total unknown. It, it what drew me to the film initially, so just, you know, it was a couple of years ago, I think I saw somebody sh- share a clip uh, from YouTube of Towns playing, and it Which was... Which song? Uh, was it Poncho and Lefty? Yes. I see that one a lot. Yeah. And, see, is it in the film? No, it's not. Okay, it's I didn't outtake. think so. Yeah. So, but it gets included on the DVD, I yeah. think, as an extra. I think that's how it started circulating. Okay. But so I saw that and I was like, oh man, this is great. And then one of my friends, who a friend of your guy of you guys too, David Ritchie, Ritchie yeah. had a <laughs> shout out to David Ritchie. Shout out David Ritchie. Uh, you know, I think had seen me reacting to it or something and, you know, made made some comment like, oh yeah, Heart Warren Highways is, you know, I saw town excellent. You gotta see yeah, well he saw town. <laughs> I saw like town several 20 times. <laughs> but but you, so that kind of led me, oh, okay, I got to see, so this is part of a larger film, I got to yeah. see it. And like you, I think going into it, to some extent hoping, oh, this will tell the story yeah. of what it was like to be an artist or these artists yeah. trying to kind of struggle on the outskirts of the industry and maybe selling a song or two, but not really making it big. It isn't. I mean, it it's more a series of snapshots of... Their lives. It's I mean, a concert film, not at a big concert, not at a single right. concert. It's a, it's a concert film on someone's porch or in but someone's it makes, like you know. But then, given that these guys weren't playing with maybe the exception of Charlie Daniels, he, or but he's David playing in a high David school Alico. auditorium. Right, he's packing so, it out though. But at least, they, yeah, right. At least there's people there. But you know, like Towns, I don't think was packing high school right, auditoriums. Right, right. You know, that was more what we were talking about earlier with Blaze. You know, seeing these guys play in these, you know, beat up worn down dive bars just to a few people in the audience yeah that was much more or even at that like kind of soda fountain type of place yeah those two guys oh yeah well that's Um, uh, in addition to uh the um like the quote-unquote outlaw country that you have there are also a series of performers uh, in nashville of these people that were like where the grand Ole opry used to be Mm -hmm. and now they're just kind of like these other kind of, I don't know, old school country performers that you get to watch that mm-hmm. I'd never heard of or they're, mm-hmm. they they don't have the kind of legendary status at right. all of, of someone like Steve Earle or, you know, um, 
or Guy Clark uh, or or uh, Towns Van Zandt either, and that was kind of fun for me. Yeah. But I guess you know the thing with observational films is that typically, you know, like the Maisel Brothers or or, or whatever, um, Frederick Wiseman, they they Gardens, right? The Maisel Brothers. Yes. Yeah. They'll have a particular performer. Yeah. And you'll just observe them like you know right. a, give me shelter an, an yeah. hour and a half of the rolling stones or two hours or whatever yeah whereas this has so many different people i would man i wouldn't you love this to just been all towns van zandt well right? sure yeah. yeah yeah but, but like <laughs> i said at the same time i grew to like really enjoy some of the um in particular the studio scenes where i'd never heard of larry, larry joe john, wilson larry john wilson john wilson I never heard of this guy but it was really That's a good cool. scene yeah, cool it's a great it scene. is he's got a great voice he I mean, does it's really deep and like commanding yeah. and yeah uh, i enjoyed that scene a lot and you know to david's point about how you know towns probably wasn't packing out any auditoriums you know uh high school gyms included i was talking to a guy um that i buy records from sometimes he's a friend of mine um older than any of us and he was talking about seeing towns uh i don't want to say he went to school in west virginia or something like that mm-hmm. um on his college campus in like 71 or something mm-hmm. and just like happened, happened to pass by him yeah. as he was playing and stopped and watched him. Man, this guy. Yeah. Man, I, I mean, can you imagine like stumbling on, stumbling onto something, on something yeah. like that? And then all these years later, him being this, you know, kind of legendary yeah. figure and thinking yeah. like, yeah, I saw that guy. Like, like if you were at the first rage against the machine show when they played at that college <laughs> and like, if you watch footage of that yeah. concert, there are people just kind of walking by and look, stopping to look at him for a second and then moving on. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. Think about being one of those people, like right. seeing somebody like that. Yeah. And well, that the other thing about this film that I kind of enjoyed, or I kept thinking about it anyway, was how this is shot in 75 and 76. And it's like, just before basically Blaze Foley is going to go to Austin. Right. And, yeah. be in this, and like, this is the Towns Van Zandt that he's going to meet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yep. here he's immortalized in this film and this documentary, but this guy's just about to step into that scene. Yeah. And they're all going to stay just kind of on the outskirts of this celebrity and, and right. success in a way that's, that's, it's before that. It's kind of an interesting little, uh, yeah. Uh, time traveling, uh, experience. It's an interesting, like musical landscape too, like thinking about these people that were so brilliant, but their most like notable moments were Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard covering Poncho and Lefty or John Prine covering clay pigeons or something like that. You know, like it's, I mean, it was such a different time for music than now because covers, I feel like covers were more the, People did them more often than they do now. Yeah, and there's more emphasis put on. Well, and country music has always been. I mean, the, the country music songwriters. Yeah, Willie Nelson. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, that's what he before he was Willie Nelson. He was Willie Nelson, the songwriter. Right. right? Yeah. Stuff that I guess. Patsy I Klein guess that was a thing walls. at some point. Crazy. I just is so far removed from like the music I came up with. That yeah. Was so. There was so much emphasis put on you write your own songs, right? You know? Right. Um, yeah. No. I mean these these guys definitely c- were comfortable with the idea of being songwriters, wanting to sell their songs to other people, wanting other people to play their songs. I, like Ethan said, I think that's generally more accepted in country. Well, it was national, it, it is an in industry, the 50s and 60s. right? It was national. Well, the system, right? You Whereas, go and, have a and, you, and there a was a pop, there was a pop system too. Yeah. But that was a little more stratified. But rock, you're right, uh, Carlos, is as a genre you know, that's evolved a lot over time. 
um, never been as receptive to the idea of people playing other people's songs. It's usually about like, okay, these artists write their songs. Yeah. There's like this authenticity built into it, like they're playing their own stuff. And if you're playing somebody else's stuff to get popular, you're lame. You're not, you know, like you're not worthy in the way that, uh, you know, a Kurt Cobain is or a, yeah, yeah. Or a Paul uh, McCartney or John Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's interesting, you know, like seeing this stuff. And I think it speaks to the quality of the songs in that I think, you know, the reason why or the a reason why you have Poncho and Lefty becoming a big hit for Willie Nelson or you have uh, um, Clay Pigeons not necessarily becoming a hit, but being something that uh, more people pay attention to with John Prine, y- you know, it, those songs, I don't know that those artists could have made their careers on them being artists who perform those songs, but their songs when they're in somebody else's hands and then somebody's willing to listen, that yeah. they're going to resonate. So, more specifically about this documentary, Ethan, I know you have some strong opinions about David Allen Coe <laughs> and his, his uh, yeah, presence I, in the film and his activity in the film, well, what he does. Or, or as I like to refer to him, Uncle Jacob. Go ahead. Does he have... <laughs> does, so he... Tell, uh, excuse me. Uh, David Allen Coe. Um, best known for what? What would be his most famous? Take song? this job and sh- no, that's Johnny Paycheck. Fuck, I think that's Johnny Paycheck. Yeah, David I, wait, Allen Coe. For, for me, David Allen Coe is wait. the most known for being a racist. <laughs> he, I mean, that's how I is know he him. Straight up, long haired redneck. Take the, what? Yeah, you know no, what? he wrote "Take This Job." Okay, but mother- but Johnny Paycheck <laughs> recorded it. Yeah, no, he was the guy. So there we go. That's so exactly long. what yeah, we've been talking take about. This job. And oh man, and if you uh, look at famously his picture, uh, sampled by Biz Marquis. Oh. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working on it no more. It's on the Office Space soundtrack. Oh, look no. it up. Okay, all right. Look it up. He, he, there, his picture on Wikipedia, he looks kind of like a cross between... Um, That's a 10-year-old uh, photo, too. A, yeah, a 10-year-old photo, and my God. Uh, right. Cross rough. between comic book guy on The Simpsons... And Jabba the Hutt. It, <laughs> well, that was I was already going with there. No, I'm thinking more no, like, like even IBM. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah it's not uh, good. But but, it's not but good. what you're the the film ends uh, heartworn highways with this sequence of David Allen Coe who does drive his own tour bus. That's good for him. Impressive. It's not that impressive, but good for him. <laughs> and he has like the, this being shot in the mid 70s. He has the most terrifically awful rhinestone outfit. Oh, it's. One of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In it's, my life, like except that it kind of is like the it, rhinestone it has a DIY appeal to it that no, I kind of respect. No, it doesn't. The <laughs> the word rhinestone starts on his pant leg, and it says rhinestone cowboy that goes all the it. way up to his shoulder, and his uh, and his 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 guitar strap is just you know, abhorrent but it, and I mean every everything about David Allen Coe's presence in this film is so unfortunate. I mean... <laughs> so let's not spend any more time on him, and let's just say you should listen to his son's podcast, Cocaine and Rhinestones, <laughs> and leave it yes, at that. Yes, Ty- Tyler Mahan Co. is making a fine podcast these days, yes. and if you haven't checked out Cocaine and Rhinestones, you definitely should. It's on my list. Yeah, it's it's some good stuff. So, uh, you know, but Heartworn Highways, I think, you know, as a document of that moment in time, and some artists that weren't quite in the center of, of Nashville, but were operating on its fringes. 
pretty amazing. It's 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 fun yeah, to see yeah. those those clips. It, again, if you go into it as somebody who doesn't care for country music, um, it might win you over. Um, Good, but it's not going to tell you the story of mm-hmm. what these guys are doing and why they're doing it and and who they're inspired by and all that. Um, you you might get a sense of that in the way that they interact, but not not uh, really the goal of the film either. So. Um, uh, yeah, I think, I think we're, uh, kind of at a point where maybe we want to, let's did just you have kind a of, closing moment? Well, here? let's, uh, let's talk a little bit, kind of rehash what music, if people want to like, maybe they have oh, a list right. of a lot of this stuff, we could just point them in the direction of a so, few different things. Yeah. So, a, a little primer on Blaze Foley's recording. A little recorded primer output. on Blaze yeah. Foley. Um, he put out one album in his life, in his lifetime. Um, there were two others that were recorded that some unfortunate stuff happened to and were lost or something like that. Um, but his self-titled album blaze fully was thankfully recently, uh, reissued by the good folks at end of an ear, uh, mm-hmm. in Austin and lost arc records, I believe in partnership with them. And it's kind of been retitled, uh, the lost muscle shoals recordings mm-hmm. featuring the muscle shoals horns. Um, that is a pretty good record. It's a little, produced more mm-hmm. produced than you would think blaze Foley would be from watching the film and hearing some of his solo stuff but on spotify as well you can listen to the live at the austin outhouse album that which is the one in the last month of his life being dramatized, being dramatized. That, yeah. yeah you can uh you can listen to that there's a compilation called oval room that's really good and, and, and if the, you listen to the outhouse album some of the banter is yes. directly lifted and used in the film i mean they they did it's a, do i that. mean it's a great record i mean yeah they the only accompaniment he has is a bass player and a harmonica player. Mm-hmm. So it's more or less just Blaze and his guitar. Mm-hmm. And for my money, out of everything that I've listened to since I've seen the film, it's the most like honest recording of his music that I've heard so far. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, fantastic. I mean, I can't, I can't recommend that enough, but it, it is really interesting to hear the Lost Muscle Shoals recordings just to kind of hear him with a full band. Yeah. And, that kind of thing. Um, and then of course, uh, if you've seen the film or maybe after you've seen it, if you plan on seeing it after listening to this, uh, you can hear the blaze original soundtrack. It's, um, also on Spotify or you can get it on vinyl or CD from, which again, as we mentioned earlier is not blaze performing his songs. It's Ben Dickey performing the song. It's Ben Dickey really um, well, really well. Aaliyah shock had appears on a couple of tracks. Um, but it's got, you know, clay pigeons, um, it's got picture cards. It's got should have been home with you. I mean, some of the big tracks. If I could that, only fly. It doesn't have that it song doesn't. on it. It doesn't, surprisingly. It's um, used in the film. That's interesting it is. that they didn't decide to include it on the soundtrack. It is, but it's not in it's not in uh it's not on this particular release. But a lot of the other stuff is oh. and um very well done. Okay. Uh, so unlike Blaze Foley, there's a whole lot of Towns Van Zant stuff. There's a shit out there. ton of Towns Van Zant. So I want to give a uh, very specific recommendation, which okay. was given to me. Uh, Towns Van Zant live at the Old Quarter in Houston, Texas. It's a live recording from uh, I guess it's the middle of the '70s. I can't. I'm fairly certain middle of the '70s, and it's very. Uh, it's just Towns Van Zant, his guitar on stage. Uh, it's got Poncho and Lefty and the other stuff that you hope that that's going to be there. And it's terrific. Also has a lot of, uh, his jokes, like oh, deadpan nice. jokes that he does. Uh, that's on vinyl too. You can get that on vinyl. It was re-released. Um, and there's lots of copies of that, but it's also available through your, your, your favorite online streaming services. So live at the old quarter in Houston, not a lot of the studio clutter or anything like that, but really good stuff. 
Though I do think some of his studio work is solid. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think that in Towns' case, his work gets lost in overproduction on his studio. At least what I've heard. Yeah, saying you know, he had, like Ethan. All said, right, but first listen to this. You want the real thing. <laughs> Well, speaking of the real thing, I just got to say this Uncle Jacob Stout, just as delicious as I remember it being, uh, like I said, a couple years ago when I had it um, last. Whoa, this is a rich, decadent imperial stout, if there ever was one. Uh, yeah. What, 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 a, what a great beer to sip on when you're thinking about the, uh, the glory of 70s outlaw cr- country as we've just have been here throughout this uh, episode. Well, 70s and 80s. It's too. just as dense and rich as a lot of those songs are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what else do you want to say? I mean, maybe it, maybe straight up bourbon. I mean, this is bourbon barrel age. I, <laughs> yeah, I could go, go for a glass of bourbon maybe when I'm listening to Blaze too. That, that yeah. might work. And a little cocaine chaser. So. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I am not endorsing cocaine use. I'll believe that. Yeah, okay. All right, folks. Well, so I think, you know, what we're saying here, Blaze, great night out at the movies. If you can get out there, I know it's it's kind of doing the limited release thing. So it's just hitting. We this is one of those that we here in Texas were kind of gifted with early, I think. Um, so I'm, I think it's really just kind of getting out the cities now. So as you listen to this, if you're not in Texas or if you are in Texas, it may be playing your local multiplex. I think it would be a a great opportunity to go out for a movie that's really going to do something a little different than you've seen with the biopic or in general with food with films you've seen yeah and heartworn highways you're probably not going to see it on the big screen, but if you're a fan of this music and you're enjoying, um, and you enjoy hearing some of the some of the stuff uh, recorded in in a bare bones setting. I think you're going to really enjoy. Um, yeah, it's one you want to have under your belt. Uh, I yeah. for sure. I, I would venture to say that you could enjoy Blaze full Blaze without even really being a fan of the music. I no, but it, you're going to come out a fan. Yeah, yeah. There'd be sure. something wrong with you if you didn't come out. That if, you can, right. if you can but watch Blaze and not, Highways, there's really nothing there if you're not a fan of this music. I don't think. Probably you can not. watch Blaze and come out of it not caring for any, not a single song, not liking a single song from that movie. I would yeah, be very surprised. Yeah, yeah, I would be super surprised. Um, yeah. But as always, uh, thank you for listening. Interact with us on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook.com. Twitter is Beer Movie beer, Show. Beer, beer mo- not beer and a movie, but Beer Movie Show. I found that out recently. Beer Movie Show. Um, okay. <laughs> Facebook.com, Beer and a Movie TX, right? Yeah. Um, and Instagram. Beer and a Movie Podcast. Dot com. Yeah. Beer and a movie on Instagram, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, if you're listening to this on the Apple podcast app, go ahead and rate and review. Mm-hmm. Uh, subscribe as well. Thank you to everybody that has. I believe the most recent review that was left was by Cassidy Kennett. So shouts out to Cassidy for uh, hey, Cassidy. Uh, <laughs> leaving a review. Much appreciated. The feedback is um, hugely helpful. Um, until then, this has been Beer and a Movie. Uh, we'll see you next time. Adios, and amigos. We're going to go out with a uh, little um, clip from an outtake from Heartworn, and, from Heartworn Highways, as it were. This is written. I wrote this about two Mexican bandits that I saw on the TV two weeks after I wrote the song. Which is out there, right? Kind of out there. I mean, it's out there for him. Out there for everybody else. 
is gonna keep you free and clean Now you wear your skin like iron And your breath's as hard as kerosene You weren't your mama's only son But her favorite one it seems She began to cry when you said goodbye sank into your dreams Poncho was a bandit boys his horse was fast just polished steel wore his gun outside his pants for all the honest world to feel Poncho met his match you know on the borders down in Mexico and nobody heard his dying words and that's the way it goes and all the federales say they could have had him any day they only let him hang around out of kindness I suppose Well Lefty he can't sing the blues All night long like he used to The dust that Poncho bit down south Ended up in Lefty's mouth The day they laid poor Poncho low Lefty left for Ohio where he got the bread to go Oh, that ain't nobody knows And all the federales say They could have had him any day They only let him slip away Out of kindness, I suppose pick it and it won't ever heal <laughs> well the poets tell how Poncho fell lefties living in a cheap hotel the border's quiet and Cleveland's cold so the story ends, we're told Poncho needs your prayers, it's true Save a few for Lefty too He just did what he had to do Oh, and now he's growing old And all the federales say They could have had him any day I'm go so wrong out of kindness I suppose a few gray federales say they could have had a mini day they only let him go so wrong out of kindness I suppose